Three years ago, I received an ominous-sounding phone call that spoke of UK demolition companies being raided by the Competition and Markets Authority. At the time, I had no idea who or what the Competition and Markets Authority were, or the power they wielded. I had no inkling that the organisation's initials would slip so readily into the demolition sector's vernacular, or that those three letters would come to dominate industry discourse. And I certainly had no indication that the conversation about the CMA investigation would still be going on three years later. In the 36 or so months since the news of a possible investigation made their way into the public realm, and with no details forthcoming, the talk turned to speculation over the likely fallout. Way back in episode 1, I suggested that the CMA investigation was like an Agatha Christie mystery but one with no dead body, no murder weapon, no suspects, and with investigators neither confirming nor denying that they were actually investigating. But the lack of all the usual components of a mystery novel has done nothing to slow industry discussion. From the very outset, the industry rumour mill has served up literally dozens of company names that self-appointed experts insist have been caught in the CMA net. Even though the CMA has never even confirmed that its investigation is looking into the demolition sector, it is widely believed that the investigation is centred upon six companies. Yet I have kept a list of the names of all the companies that have been put forward to me as potential suspects. And that list currently contains not six names, not 16 names. It contains 23. In all likelihood, 17 of that 23 are probably in the clear but we don't know for sure. And every time the CMA pushes back the date of its next official update, it triggers the fear that it could be following a new lead that just might snare some more demolition companies. An interesting aside to all this is the suggestion that some rival demolition companies are friendly, perhaps a little too friendly with their competitors. After all, collusion and price-fixing aren't solitary pursuits. They require two or more participants. Yet, even while some companies were allegedly willing to set aside their usual rivalries to ensure the best possible outcome for themselves, there have been many more all too eager to throw their contemporaries under the speculation bus. The list I have compiled will never be published. Obviously, I don't want to commit slander or libel, and I certainly don't want a disgruntled but innocent demolition contractor to come knocking on my door. But more than that, I know that some of the names put forward were actually suggested by their nearest or their greatest rival. An axe to grind, perhaps? Back when I was the Press Relations Officer for the National Federation of Demolition Contractors, I often remarked on the fact that member companies, many of them bitter business rivals, were willing to set aside their traditional differences for the greater good of the industry. But did that camaraderie extend too far? And where's the line? Is taking lunch and propping up a hotel bar with demolition rivals permissible? What about the annual NFDC convention in a far-flung overseas location? where demolition company principals share swimming pools, cold drinks and hot tubs. Is that considered too friendly? With no confirmation on the names of the alleged culprits, 
thoughts turn to what would be likely to happen if one, some or all proved to be members of either the National Federation of Demolition Contractors or the Institute of Demolition Engineers. Now, for all I know, there might be something buried deep in the NFDC's Code of Conduct that lays out specific rules relating to member companies that have been found to have been involved in illegal activities. Then again, maybe the Federation has spent the past two or three years putting in place a contingency plan in order to retain any members caught in the CMA net. If that is the case, and there's no evidence either way, what would that do for the Federation's already damaged reputation and dwindling influence? And how would innocent member companies feel about belonging to a trade body that turned a blind eye to any proven collusion? Speaking on the Surgery podcast, former IDE President Dr Terry Quornby made it clear how he expects the Institute of Demolition Engineers to respond if the CMA investigation proves the involvement of one or more of its members. If anybody or any organisation brings the Institute into disrepute, then they'll be dismissed. Now, I would remind you that this is all speculation at this point. But regardless of whether they are expelled or retained, how would the proof of collusion in NFDC member ranks be greeted by other associations of which the NFDC itself is a member? The European Demolition Association, Build UK. The head of Build UK has already declined an opportunity to speak at the NFDC AGM to avoid being caught in the CMA crossfire. Build UK also encourages its members to have a clear stance on anti-competitive practices. Could the wrong outcome lead to a temporary suspension? Could it lead to a passing of the ways between Build UK and the NFDC? Or could it clear the way for the establishment of an alternative trade body? Who knows? What is clear is that the demolition trade bodies are not the only ones taking a keen interest in the outcome of the investigation. Numerous Tier 1 companies, the type that make up the membership of Build UK, are already asking about involvement in any alleged collusion as part of their pre-tender processes. And Demolition News itself has been contacted by two local authorities in rapid succession. In both instances, they asked if we could name the companies involved in the CMA investigation. I couldn't, and I didn't. But they were about to let frameworks, one involving asbestos and a bit of demolition, the other purely demolition. I got the impression that both would prefer to sit on their hands for a bit longer rather than hand a contract to one or more companies that might be about to face the full force of the law. The timing of all this could not be worse. The combined demolition and construction industries were granted key worker status and worked virtually non-stop throughout the COVID-19 pandemic and the resulting national lockdowns. The sector emerged upbeat and resilient but a shortage of skilled labour and, for a time, a shortage of fuel has hampered the post-pandemic recovery. Since then, we have seen a rise and rise in the cost of materials and of fuel. Then the industry lost the red diesel rebate, upon which it had relied for some 60 years. The temptation has never been greater for developers and Tier 1 contractors to pause for breath, to be less hasty, and to not rush into projects with unpredictable and escalating costs. Rather than finding themselves allied to a company that could be found guilty of collusion or price-fixing, clients now have another reason to leave their finger hovering over the go button. And what of those developers, contractors and local authorities that are already signed up with a company that is about to be found guilty? We'll get into that in the next episode. 
in episode 4 of the CMA Files. If a developer, contractor or local authority finds itself working in partnership with a company that's subsequently proven to be caught up in the CMA investigation, what would they do? What could they do? It took a lot of digging, but there is a possible precedent. The CMA Files is a Demolition News production. It was written and narrated by Mark Antony. We hope you enjoyed this episode.